Hello, I'm Toby Haydock, although you can call me sexy. No, no, please, please, please call me sexy. unusual who's round because we're doing special ones from the 50s to the 60s and this is the latest one recorded only very recently from when you actually hear it and that is because what yes i'm still doing who's rounds in 2014 uh, usually ones that we tried to arrange in 2013 and for various reasons didn't happen and i'm not going to say no if somebody still wants to speak to me however you will not cross off on the list that I know you're all keeping fastidiously, the story that I cover in this, uh, in order to see me through to completing my task. My task was to get a first-hand anecdote for every Doctor Who story in 2013. So this is a bonus for you, but it helps me with my task not a jot. But uh, there was no way I could pass up the opportunity to speak to somebody who has an incredible profile and is actually an, an absolutely lovely person. So um, enjoy, but... Uh, I still have to keep plodding away back there in 2013 to cross this particular story off my list. Hello everybody, I'm in a dressing room of a theatre and I'm delighted and stunned that this busy uh, person has agreed to speak to me about a tiny part of her career. So I'm going to ask her who she is and why I'm talking to her about Doctor Who. My name is Saran Jones and you're talking to me about Doctor Who because I played Idris or the TARDIS. And did you know what you were getting yourself in for? You've been acting for a very long time, but Doctor Who to a modern actor is, is, is a slightly newer phenomenon in that regard of fandom and strangeness. And... Absolutely. I mean, it, I've got some fan mail here at the theatre and none of it is to do with Orlando, which is the play I'm in at the moment. It's all to do with Doctor Who. The amount of cards that I get sent with, you know, those... Um, you might know better than me the swapsy things. oh the trading cards yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, can you sign these can, and I sign them and send them off god knows what happens to them but yeah and apparently there's like there's things in Doctor Who stores of Idris and the TARDIS that you know I know nothing about but it's all out there and I have a movable doll yeah well, but her legs don't move much which is a shame <laughs> mine do mine oh, are great oh okay <laughs> good and that must be quite. That, that must be a, a arriving though. If you go up, right, whatever else I do with my career, I've done something that's got me a doll of me. Exactly. Oh yeah. Well, well, when I was in Coronation Street, one of my fans made me a Karen doll, and when I say made me, it was like um, a cheap Barbie that they'd put like um, a tabard on, which is what the knicker factory girls wear, and um, and they painted some lipstick on her and put her in uh, this box. So I. I'd had one made, but it isn't quite the same as having, like, a franchise. <laughs> sure. And so, I mean, I guess you that was just an offer of a part. Yes, I got the script, and my agent said, I'm not really sci-fi, um, but the do Doctor Who's come in. Will you have a read of it? And um, I read it, loved it. Then someone told me it was a Neil Gaiman script. Then I got even more excited... I knew of Neil Gaiman. Um, the partner that I was with at the time is a huge Doctor Who fan, and he was just, like, dying inside, going, oh, my God, you have to do this part. Um, and I think it, when I said to my agent, read it, because it, 
it wasn't sci-fi. It was like a love story, and it was so emotional. And um, and then when you look at the history of the TARDIS and the Doctor, and I could see Matt Smith in it, and I kind of knew what I wanted to do with the part, um, except when I got to the read-through, and then uh, they said to me, by the way, the TARDIS can't be northern. So other than that, um, I kind of knew what I wanted to do with it, and then I just switched to RP, and, and we were off. Oh, so you were originally going to do it... With, with with your accent? Yeah. Well, well, that, that's how I... Because it was an offer, and so I just turned up, rocked up at the um, read-through. It was very scary, because Stephen Moffat was reading in the stage directions. I had Matt, Karen and Arthur on um, either side of me. And I just... I'd kind of read it as um, how I had it in my head. And then the director, Richard Clark, who I've just worked with again, um, said, yeah we kind of want the TARDIS to be neutral because it is a neutral thing and it's a universal thing. So I got that. And we started to rehearse and the script lend, lends itself to the fact that the TARDIS and the Doctor are, know each other so well that they have the same patterns and the same thoughts and they finish each other's sentences and thoughts off. So it was almost like a study of me studying Matt Smith to get to the performance that I came up with in the end, really. And how, how was he to work with Matt? Wonderful. I mean, he's just... He's very giving, generous. Everyone there looks after you. Cardiff is a wonderful place. Um, and, and it was a big thing to come in and do the TARDIS justice. You know, that was quite a frightening thing to do. I didn't think of it like that. I thought I had to think of it as Idris. But in the back of my mind, it, you know when I was on set and the big blue box was there, I was looking at it thinking, okay, I have to get this right. So there was kind of a pressure. And Matt was just there, you know, supporting me all the time. And he was wonderful. And did was was Neil Gaiman around when you were doing it? Yeah, Neil came. Um, we had a, a, he he kind of did a tour around the set because he wanted to see what the, um, the tunnels were like that Karen and... Um, Arthur's characters kind of get lost in the tunnels. Um, myself and the Doctor are building the other TARDIS. And, um, yeah, he was around. And, um, and he, again, he was wonderful and very generous and um, a very bright, lovely, um, interesting man. And did you have any say in your look? Because it's a very sort of Mervyn Peaky kind of look to the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, the designers, again, are wonderful and they just showed me pictures. Um, I remember being in costume and they wanted me to look like um it has been likened to a, a tim burton type character or even yeah. helena bonham carter herself um and once we'd got the dress on the hair had to be bigger than the dress almost so i, I think i had seven hair pieces put in my hair um each morning and um, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and, and i was like no this is great so it was like playing it was like um it was like they—they were collaborative, and and they wanted to know my opinion. But I mean, it was—it was all there. The design on that show is wonderful because I—I I just think that they, when Russell and Stephen kind of reinvented it, and a good friend of mine, Joe Hearn, um, directed uh, early episodes. Um, you know, they had such a vision with it, and and did wonderful things. So. Yeah, I think the design team is second to none. And so, had you been uh, you'd been watching it before you were in it? I mean, are you are you are you do you enjoy sci-fi? Are you are you sympathetic to it? 
Yeah, I mean, I was interested. I, I really wanted to know what Chris Eccleston was going to do with it, and I thought Billy Piper was wonderful in it as well. Then I tailed off a bit, and then when Matt Smith, um, all the hype around Matt and how wonderful Matt was because he was so different to Chris, um, I dipped in there. and um, So I, I wouldn't say I'm an out-and-out Hoovian. <laughs> um, now, now I know what a Hoovian is. Um, but, but yeah, I, th I think it's... Because it has that, it has those double, the, the scripts and the stories have those double layers where it's um, child friendly and imaginative, but yet, you know, a lot of 40 year old men come up to me and, and speak about what it does to them, whether it's the child inside or, or however these stories are told through sci fi, it just does something to people, to their imagination and to their spirit. So I think it's, um, it's a real special show. Well, it's, it's interesting though because as an actor, you know, you, you turn up and you do a job, and and this, and you don't have to engage afterwards if you don't want to. But when I told a friend of mine who who um, stalks actors basically, he goes everywhere, <laughs> and I said, Sarah Jones has agreed to do this thing, and he said, Oh, she's so lovely, and and uh, it seems to be you you you're not somebody who minds engaging with the public, and that you've agreed to do this as well, in the sense that so do you see that as part of your job as an actor then to to do the extracurricular stuff, or do you actually just enjoy it? Um, well. I, we were just talking before we switched on the tape about, um, you know, about how lucky you are to get jobs. And, you know, a lot of my friends, and you were saying about your friends, you know, that struggle to get jobs or they have big periods of time when they're unemployed or they're working in bars or restaurants or whatever. So I, I count my lucky stars. I think I'm very grateful and thankful for the position that I'm in. I left Coronation Street 10 years ago and... And, and have found interesting work. My agent's been great. And I think, it's, um, I think it's important to engage with people that want to see you portray characters and want to see you entertain them. So, yeah, I think, I think it's a big part of, of our job, really. Well, and it's no mean feat to leave Coronation Street and to work solidly. I mean, was that... Did... How how long did it take you to weigh up whether you wanted to go or not? And did you have stuff lined up, or was it a big black nothing that you had to? And did you have to convince people then to employ you? I mean, yeah, I think there. I think when people leave a soap, there is this. There is still a um, a snobbery around uh, soap actors. Not so much anymore. Maybe back then, ten years ago, I'm talking, because. Um, what people see is that soap actors are on their screen five times a week and then they start to look at them as those characters um, and even the industry do um, to a certain degree. And, of course, people have had millions of jobs, whether it be in the theatre at the RSC or, you know, film actors before going onto the street or to EastEnders or to Emmerdale, but people don't see that, really. You know, I, I, I was a twirly from being eight years old. I loved singing and dancing and thought I was going to go into musicals and did lots of episodes of Everything Northern pre-Coronation Street. But I think it's the power of a soap that people fall in love with characters, which is also a wonderful thing. So, so A, to leave that. And also, I was a jobbing actor and a barmaid, so... When you get a soap, you can suddenly afford your mortgage and you can afford your, a car and some nice food from um, some of the nicer supermarkets, etc. So it's quite a, it's quite a difficult decision, but I just knew in my heart that I wanted to be an actor to play lots of different parts. 
And when I left, I didn't have anything to go to. Um, I went to Australia for a month with my parents. And I got a call to fly back to do a screen test with Ray Winston for Vincent. So I did. And then I got on a plane again back to Australia. And then I got the, the job. And it kind of went from there. I owe a lot to Sita Williams, actually, who gave me that part because it was a good drama straight off after Corrie. And I think that off the back of that and the fact that I wanted to do to go back to theatre and I didn't mind kind of doing tours around the country, um, I, you know, it, it wasn't that I, I needed to hang on to any fame or anything. I just wanted to do good jobs. So, yeah, I'm going to touch some... Would now. Well, I'm going to touch my head. That'll do. That you know, may it continue. And uh, I mean, I suppose it's a silly question to ask what the favourite is. I, I suppose a juggle, a mix between theatre and television. But if you had to do one, which would you? You were told you could only do one now, for the rest of your days. Oh, that's mean. Um, I guess for the rest of my days. Then, then. Oh. See, I've just come off the back of something wonderful, creative. And you get you get five weeks to rehearse, and and you know the beginning, the middle, and the end of something, and you can really play with people, and you get to tell a story to a house full of people every night, and it's old school, and it's where I started from being eight. So if I had to choose, then I'll choose theatre. Well, it's interesting you talk about rehearsal because most of the actors I've interviewed for this are actors from Doctor Who, you know, his previous incarnation, mm-hmm. um, who were brought up on uh, who were brought up on television where you rehearsed for a week and then recorded it yeah. only on, on the Saturday, on the Friday. Um, now, today's generation of actors do not get television rehearsal particularly. Mm. Um, do you, would you, would you feel that that is something that, that harms what you do? I mean, the acting in something like Scott Bailey is excellent, but so, uh, you know, those actors who moan to me, who say, oh, <laughs> television it suffers because we... Know, do, are the, do you think it's better, or do you think actors now are just that their instrument is trained to work in a different way and to be actually spontaneous and, and do it to order a bit more? I think we can do it to order. And I think that budgets don't allow rehearsal time. So, therefore, you do the best you can with what you have. I think it's sad that budgets have been cut so that um, perhaps we have to work longer hours or we don't get the rehearsal time or you know the crews are kind of cut down or we get a shorter periods of time to make our shows. But we do it. Um, and unfortunately, the, the more we do it and do it well, the less, you know, there, there will be a generation that just don't even know about the, the kind of stuff we're talking about, rehearsals. I think on some shows, um, I mean, regular series like Scott and Bailey, it, we kind of know the characters. So, you know, we... we jump in and we're all swats on Scott and Bailey. So when we're in the green room, there's a darts board and sometimes we stop the boys playing darts and then we, we rehearse, rehearse, rehearse ourselves. Um, but, I mean, it would, be, uh, it would be great if there was one or two or three days rehearsal time where actors and directors could talk so that they know what they're going to do when they get onto a set. And, and so, you know, there are some companies that, that insist on that and... Um, and I think that that's, that that's good and that's needed, and I think it shows when that happens. And is it, talking about Scott and Bailey, that's not just something you were hired to do. You, had, you, were, you, were, you instigated it. So how, how did that come about? Um, myself and Sally Lindsay, who met on Coronation Street, she played Shelley and Wynne, 
we became very close. Our characters weren't. Uh, Shelley and Karen, I think, used to... Karen used to order a couple of drinks off Shelley in the road, and that was about it. But we, off, off screen, were very close. And I left, and we talked about what kind of stuff would be good um, on telly, what was missing. And over a bottle of wine, we came up with these two characters and their home life and work life and three-dimensional northern professional women that we felt was perhaps lacking on screen. And we wrote a treatment and we sold it to a company um, that had it for 18 months and didn't do anything with it. Um, or they tried to do something with it and it didn't happen. And then we took it to a different company. A writer, Sally Wainwright, came on board and wrote a great script and then again nothing happened for four years and all of a sudden ITV then looked at it again Sally did a rewrite she'd been working with a police officer and we changed it she changed it to murder a murder investigation team and all of a sudden it kicked off you know these these things I'm just writing myself at the moment and you know I've spent two years on a script that so far hasn't got anywhere and I've just started on two other treatments and I'm very aware, and my hat's off and respect to writers, because you can write and write and write, and it, it may never happen. Or, like the story I've just told you, it may be BAFTA nominated for a series down the line at some point. So it's just that, it's that passion and enthusiasm that you have to find from somewhere, and, and that thing of, okay, I'm only here once, I'm going to plough on with this, and I'm going to give it a go, you know. And, I, and I'm... I'm terrible because when I sit down with my computer, I love people, so it's quite a lonely thing, and I'd rather clean all my cupboards than, you know, do do anything but sit and write. You're nodding like you know that I feeling. Know that feeling very well. yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, but there are some success stories, and um, you know, you hear of people that have had ideas for years and years and years, then they take a fresh look at it. Maybe their eyes are older or they're a bit wiser, and something happens with it. So it's it's just that plodding on isn't it and and believing that something will happen eventually and more and more these days you, being a jack of all trades is 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 actually part of the package of what we do isn't yeah it? yeah exactly yeah and I think and, and also for me I'm 35 36 next and I I am aware that the parts as a woman gets older um are less maybe more interesting at times or character smaller character parts but I am aware that perhaps I would like to have something of my own when I'm not as um, young and virile and, and, and doing all the <laughs> the lead parts um, as such but you know there are a lot of female writers out there so maybe that's changing certainly in Scott and Bailey we have three generations of women and it works brilliantly we're all leads but it, it's kind of nice for yourself to just go well okay well I'm going to have this for me just in case work gets slower oh and talking of next birthday you, you I, there are very few of us you and I are both January the 2nd are we not no I'm not you know are you not I don't know who's put that out there oh that's a shame I can never find another January the 2nd uh, my dad's January gonna... 3rd right so he's kind of your neighbour don't get him a present for Christmas and birthday <laughs> he'll, he, he might smile but he'll secretly hate it because that's happened to me all my life so this is your Christmas present, but it's your Christmas and birthday present. Do you think I would ever do that to my father? <laughs> no. My mother does it to me. <laughs> no, I've learned. I've learned the hard way. No, I'm 27th of August. Oh, how bizarre. So I don't know who 
or where that has come from, but I get birthday cards on your birthday. Oh, more than I get. <laughs> I get Christmas cards. And they're uh, not even from your mum. That, <laughs> that's very good, because I want to... Because when, when people go online and they say things, definitive statements, because they say, well, I read it on Wikipedia or IMDb. Further proof, people, this is my crusade to prove that you don't believe everything you read on Wikipedia and IMDb. Absolutely. Some of the stuff that people tell me, I'm like, what? I don't know how that gets on there, but it does. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad but sad at the same time. <laughs> um, uh, of course, Matt Smith's not the only doctor you've brushed with because you did that great series with David Tennant, uh, yeah. which was my mum's favourite thing that you did. She said she thought you were brilliant in that. Um, Thanks, uh, Mum. Yeah, she said it in my Christmas card. <laughs> uh, uh, so how did you enjoy working with David? Because oh. he's famously the nicest mm. man on the planet. Yes, well, there's a competition, isn't there, between Matt Smith and uh, David Tennant. They're both lo- lovely. So that was his first job out of Doctor Who and um, it was crazy because we went to Glasgow to film Single Father and it, we'd be walking down the streets and the the attention that he gets um, certainly straight after Doctor Who was crazy. I mean, people were, were rushing at him. There was hordes of children, um, you know, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting and, and a big time for him. Um, and he was just wonderful and giving and friendly and lovely and kind and all those things that people say about him. Yeah. I think he got a nickname. He runs a lot. So one of the drivers called him the Panther because he's always run, dashing around, um, being busy, doing something. And I thought he was wonderful in that. I thought he was really um, open and honest and genuine. That, that part really required that and he was brilliant. And you've sort of alluded to it that you you were performing from you know almost the nappies. So I mean, it was is your background your background? Uh, was there any theatre or showbiz in your background? My auntie Norma, who's my dad's auntie, was a tap dancer, and sometimes she worked in a circus. Okay. Once on a tightrope, and a couple of times walking around with the cards um, while the elephants uh, walked in the centre. So if you're going to um, include that, then yes is the answer. If, if we're not allowed to include <laughs> Antinoma, then no. Everyone's uh, mum was a secretary, uh, dad worked at a brewery, my brother is, um, you know, technical. So no, nothing really. And was there ever, were you ever sort of, war, you know, suggested to you that perhaps there were better, more sensible ways of earning a living? the one you wanted to embark on. Yes, by Steve Coogan's brother, David, who was my history teacher. I remember um, my mum and dad saying <clears throat> we'd gone to, they'd gone to a, a parents' night and that uh, he would, he'd said, oh, my, my brother's, you know, does all this and does she, is she sure that she wants to go down that road? And um, funnily enough, yes, I was sure. And... Uh, Steve Coogan's done all right, hasn't he? He's done okay, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he still dabbles, I think. Yes, yeah. <laughs> In between shouting at tabloid journalists, very amusingly on Newsnight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's good. Um, well, look, I'm, I've, got, I've just... I'll, I'll, I'll not take up too much more of your time, but we can't leave uh, without uh, mentioning your first brush with the Doctor Who universe, which is where you have a hoot as the Mona Lisa. Yes. Who was resolutely northern. Yes, she uh, was, yeah. So how did that come about, and was that a, a good laugh? as good a laugh as it seemed to be yeah brilliant um so i got that script and and it, it basically i think in the script it said 
um, she's a bit of a scally. So, um, so it was fun. And that was my first trip down to Cardiff and with all the Doctor Who people. And I didn't know Sarah Jane Adventures. So I did a bit of research. And yeah, those kids were brilliant. It, it was hilarious. And actually, when I got the Doctor Who call, I, I was really surprised because I thought, well, I've done Sarah Jane. But, you know, they keep it in the family. And I can't... The, the one difference is I can't remember that the Sarah Jane script had the... Um, the warning that the Doctor Who script had on because if if you I'm sure other people have told you about this if you get a Doctor Who script your name's emblazoned across the front like you can't lose it so you have to carry it around like the crown jewels <laughs> in case anyone finds out what's in it especially with the Neil Gaiman episode it was like do not tell anyone I can't remember that the uh, Sarah Jane one had that as much but um, yeah that was fun that was fun they dyed my eyebrows because Mona Lisa doesn't have any eyebrows, so they, they were going to shave them off. Um, and I, I said, how much are you paying me? <laughs> and it, it wasn't enough to shave them off, so we just dyed them instead. <laughs> yeah, no, you have to be careful with shaving eyebrows. Exactly, off. yes. Because I don't think they grow back in the same way. No, no, and I'm sure that happened to me, you know, when I was 16 and drunk at some point. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm, I gave that a miss in my professional career. So... Um, What's next? What, what, I mean, what, what are, I do have unfulfilled ambitions of the things that if I was to meet up with you in 10 years' time that you could have done, what do you think you would have liked? Um, well, hopefully, if we do meet up in 10 years' time, that would be lovely. And yes. I would... Well, it's been about 10 years since we last met, hasn't it? Y- yes. At least, at least. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we think 12, maybe. Yeah. When I was, um, yeah, hanging around the comedy club, was it? Yeah, the comedy store, yeah. Comedy store, yeah. Uh, with uh, lovely Jenny McAlpine. Yeah, unbelievable that, that time has flown. So, okay, well, then we do another one in 10 years. And I would like to be telling you about a script that I've written that has got some interest or that's been performed or um, that I've been in. That would be, that would be wonderful. Maybe it would be nice to tell you that I've done a show in London and then had a Broadway transfer. And maybe I might have done like a really good original British drama feature film. How's that? That, that, that sounds, sounds all pretty right. good. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm liking your CV of the future. Yes, it's pretty good me too. Down. I've got to touch wood again now. <laughs> and um, you've given your time very kindly. Um, I've given mine because it's not particularly important, but that's different. <laughs> um, so we ask the listeners to donate to a charity. So what's your charity? Please, would you donate 5, 10, 15p, or if you've got some notes in your pocket, then that would be lovely too, to Mood Swings of Manchester. And it's a mental health charity, um, a charity that I've worked with, and um, the man who runs it is called Tom McAlpine, and he's the most wonderful man in the world, and I would be very grateful if you would donate to Mood Swings. And the final question is awful, but I've asked it of everybody. What is your message? We're doing this to celebrate 50 years of Doctor Who. What is your message to the listening Doctor Who fans out there? Oh, God, you put me in so much... Ah, uh, uh, the pressure. I can't take the pressure. Um, dear Doctor Who fans, <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if... Peter Capaldi, a.k.a. New Doctor, walked into one of his rooms in the TARDIS and found Idris's body there. 
plugged her in and had a little adventure with her. Lots of love from me. Ah, uh, so you'd, you'd be back then? Yeah, of course, yeah. Brilliant. Well, I look forward to that day, but in the meantime, Saran Jones, who's about to go on stage in a physically demanding role, <laughs> has given time to do this silly thing. Thanks so much. I'll go and do my sit-ups. Bless okay, you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks to Saran, uh, who was so busy that week and was so kind. Uh, her charity is www.moodswings, all one word, all small case, moodswings, M-O-O-D-S-W-I-N-G-S, dot org, dot UK. Please give if you can. Uh, in fact, I will be knocking off her story in the next Who's Round, recorded before this one, of course, uh, which is with somebody that has had quite a, a large input into many recent episodes of Doctor Who. So uh, that's the next one. Listen up and enjoy. But in the meantime, I am Toby Haydock, the missing link between man and Anorak. Bye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, the fourth Doctor adventures, Doctor Who, last of the colophon. Many years ago, a freak bacterial mutation created a pathogenic strain that was lethal and resistant to all known medicine. A lost civilization. This lifeless grey rock just got a whole lot more interesting. I do not think you have brought us to the right place for a holiday. There is nothing here but stones and sand. It is a desert world. Yes, no sign of life. And you know what that means, don't you? No? What does that mean? It means nothing will disturb our peace and quiet. You spent a thousand years waiting for a single alien visitor, and then two come along at once. The vapor trail of a spaceship. It looks like somebody else has come here for a holiday. The door is closing. Don't panic. There must be some way to open it again. Why make a door that can only be opened from the outside? Because, Leela, that door wasn't designed to keep visitors out. It was designed to keep something in. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.